0: Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, Executive Director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make sure nonprofits get stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And we have my co
1: host, Natalie Jablonski, the nonprofit ninja. Yep, specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. I am thrilled about today's topic. More importantly, I'm thrilled about today's guest. Today we're going to be talking about the value of the feasibility study. So Marjorie, everybody knows that when you're a nonprofit organization, the magic behind the mission is what?
0: It's the fundraising, fundraising
1: right? <laughs> so simply put, no money, no, no mission. mission. So fundraising has a three-phase cycle. You're either starting a campaign, you're in a campaign, or you're ending a campaign. And I'm sure our listeners can appreciate that. Well, today we've got a special treat because we have Ellen Howe. She's a senior consultant with the Rome Group, and she's been involved in the nonprofit sector for 15 years as either a consultant, a development officer, a program director. She is magical. And Ellen, (laughs) tell us about uh, some of the projects that the Rome Group Group specializes in.
2: Well, I'm delighted to be here and delighted with your topic, um, because I think feasibility studies are very important also. The Rome Group, um, we do a number of different things, but primarily in two areas. One in fund development. So we do feasibility studies, capital campaigns. We do, uh, interim development work because there's, quite frankly, a shortage of um, development people. And we also do a lot of planning. So we do strategic plans, um, business plans, and board development plans. And as part of all of that, we do an assessment of the organization because we really think it's important uh, to understand, do you know what I mean, where your starting place is right. and where you're trying to get to.
1: Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. I mean, you have to know. And there's so many times where you're running so quickly and you forget the importance of that plan should not just be one of those things that's dusty, sitting on a shelf. That should actually be guiding you. So if you have a plan and it's not doing that, then it's not really a plan. It's just a document that you decided as a board or as a nonprofit that you were going to call a plan, right? Exactly. (laughs) Pretty much, right? Right. So... So today we want to really just focus in on the feasibility study. I've seen some articles out there that are challenging the validity of having one, who should do one, why it's needed. So let's just go with the idea. Let's get back to basics because I'm not even sure where to start with this and we have such a broad audience, some of our listeners who are board members or volunteers or maybe some of your co-hosts. Some of our co-hosts <laughs> may not be familiar with really truly what a feasibility study is. So I would describe it, I think, as a tool that nonprofits use, but beyond that, what are, what are some basics of what a feasibility study is designed to do?
2: Great. Well, a feasibility study is actually, um, I think a tool is a great description. We also like to say it's a process. Mm -hmm. It's time sensitive and it really is designed to help an organization who is looking at raising significant funds for a specific reason. It can be that they want a new building. Maybe they want to build their endowment. Um, They need to expand their programs significantly. And so the question is, Can they raise that much money? Will their donors support it? And what do they need to do to ensure that they can successfully raise that money? So what a feasibility study does, it really helps answer those questions. So essentially it's, you have conversations with your top donors and stakeholders and also some potential uh, donors and some community leaders. And what you want to find out is, one, what do they think about the organization, quite frankly? Because if your organization doesn't have a good reputation or if it's not known, People can't support it or won't support it. So we want to find out what people think, especially those people close to you about your organization. And then what do they think about the project that you're proposing? Do they think it will benefit the community? Is it worthwhile? Um, and do they think it's needed? And And if they think it's needed, will they support it? And to what level? So essentially what we're finding out is, is your organization um have a good reputation is this project needed will it make a difference do your donors and community leaders think it's worthwhile and they're willing to invest in it so you find the answers to that through a feasibility study
0: so it is it's not so much about raising money but really laying that groundwork to to really understand your community i guess more than anything
2: Marjorie that's a great point it It, you know, it is so much more than about just raising the money because it, it helps you really find out what the community thinks about your organization and also what a lot of times as leaders of nonprofits, we think we know what the community wants. <laughs> we think we have the answer for them. And by God, if, you know, we tell them about our product, our project, they'll want to support
1: it. When, They're going to love it and bring yes, out their checkbooks. Exactly. And say, like, Show me the money. Make it rain. Right? Exactly. And oh, if it only worked like that. I know. No, wouldn't that be so great? Yeah. Because they have to tell them about
2: what we're doing. And so really what you do find out is what they think. But I think just as important as what you need to do as an organization Mm. to be successful in this fundraising effort. So, you know, in a feasibility study, we'll ask things like, who do you think from the community should be involved in this project? And if they're involved will that increase the likelihood of success? We ask them to um, many times to give feedback on the board. Do you mm-hmm. think the board has the capacity to raise these type of funds? And um, so it just really helps the organization um, get ready. And, you know, just as an example, too, it helps, I think, really have the organization put forth a project that, is going to benefit the community. Um, one organization I worked with, they wanted to do some buildings. They wanted to expand the programs, especially for um, kids and families from low-income areas, and they wanted to build their endowment. I a, lot mean, lofty, a lot of <laughs> things. A lot of things. And what we found out was the building part, which was the largest part um, of their overall goal, was important, but the thing that resonated the most was the program expansion for um, children and families um, from low-income areas, and that the endowment, unfortunately, was not of interest to the donors or the community. Mm-hmm. So f- f- good thing for them that, you know what I mean, they then were like, okay, we want to change this because we've heard what the community said, maybe it's not the time for us to build our endowment. And so they focused on program expansion and
1: buildings. So I love that description because it shows all the different elements of a feasibility study because one of the articles that we were using research on, uh raise I think it was raisefunds dot mm-hmm. was talking about how it's feasibility studies have this kind of reputation, if you will, good, bad, or indifferent, for oh, that's for if you to find out how much money you're actually going to raise for the campaign period. That's what I thought it was right. <laughs> and there's so much more that yeah. comes from that. Uh we were looking at AFP website, so the association of fundraising professionals, mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, basics of all basics, right, for membership and really trying to understand some of those benefits of using the feasibility site to engage the community. Uh, and I, I think, you know, talking about some of those different elements and, you know, hearing what you're, what you're saying, listening to what they want, because although we know what we need perhaps as nonprofit professionals, it's really not just about what we, what we need, but what the people who are writing the checks and supporting us verbally out in the community and making sure there's excitement about this. It's what resonates with them, wouldn't you say?
2: Absolutely. You really find out what is compelling about what you're proposing. And many times um, in fundraising, we have what's called the case statement where, you know, essentially, why are we raising money? How is your funds how they're going to be used. That's the case statement. And what we find out through the feasibility study is, you know what, you haven't provided enough information about what impact this new building might offer or um, we love this program for early childhood. You haven't shown us the benefit of the programming for um, the high school kids. So you really find out what information is missing. But as you said, Natalie, you also find out, wow, that really resonated with them, that part about, you know, we're going to help um, provide early childhood education for families who they're trying to find work. They're looking for work and they need a safe place for their kids. That really resonated in terms of we like to help people who are helping themselves. So mm-hmm. you absolutely get that. Awesome.
1: So that brings up very interesting So let's pretend like we are the nonprofit and we are in the bill of feasibility study and you come back with this information that they like A, B, and but C, they're confused on, and D, they think it's a terrible idea. Is it too late at that point for an organization to shift their focus or or should it be? Should they be using that feedback and how should they be using that feedback to guide that campaign? Uh, Because what if what they really need is D? A, A, B, and C are really nice, but we really need like the endowment fund, for example, where – You had said it wasn't interesting in that particular example. Mm. So what can an organization do with that information?
2: So the information that you get from the feasibility study, especially feedback about the project or the reason you want to raise funds, um, in some instances it, it really does change what the organization will do. But I think in most instances what it does is it just informs the organization that, you know what, you need to tell us more about, Why you need an endowment. And if we were so excited about what you're doing for kids, especially kids from low income areas, is your endowment going to do anything about that? In most Mm -hmm. cases, absolutely yes. People, organizations usually have an endowment because it enables them to do programming that people can't afford. So what you do then with the organization is you tell your story better. And that's what it can do. Not that you have to completely change your plans, but you have to tell your story in a different way and maybe offer more facts or more outcomes.
0: So at what point, I guess, in the fundraising cycle do we start thinking about doing a, a feasibility study. Like when do when do I start this? That's like, a good how many question. years out? <laughs> I mean, you know,
2: it's that's a wonderful question. How many years out in terms of feasibility study? Um I would Say that as you begin to explore, obviously you need to have something that you're testing in the feasibility study.
1: So that's kind of what a feasibility is, right? right, you're t- right. Like testing the waters.
2: Exactly. Okay. So you're testing it. So you do have to know what you want your project to be. And so normally people probably do a feasibility study nine months to a year before they think they're going to begin a fundraising campaign. Okay. And we would say that you would want to do that a year In advance. Um, One of the other advantages of the feasibility study, if it's done that much ahead, is for your major donors, you've had the opportunity through the feasibility study to educate them about what you're going to do to get their feedback, and so hopefully. They're buying and they're interested. And so you've kind of laid the foundation for them, like, to say, you know, we're interested in doing this, but we want to make sure we can do it successfully and want to see what you think about it. So then when you go back nine months to a year later, Mm -hmm. they're ready. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're not catching them, like. Well, we want to ask you for a major gift. Right. Do you know it's what
1: a I mean? conversation that you've already kind of right. primed the pump on, if So it you really is a relation to
0: building peace almost. Now, I guess it's am I am I going out to these donors to talk about this before I've kind of really made plans or like at least, you know, goals kind of have an idea of how much it's going to cost or am I waiting until after
1: that yeah that's the question i always get asked too and though and board members always were are so excited when you talk campaign they want to hear one thing how much how much what's the goal (laughs) what's the goal so should we be doing this feasibility study before we set the goal Mm -hmm. after should we have a soft goal in mind like where the board thinks we want to be and where the executive director thinks we want to be because sometimes those can be very different (laughs) Uh, when does that play in um we
2: you, you, we think you absolutely need to have some type of financial goal that you're, um, testing. Okay. And so, you know, we just met with an organization, um, last week and when they looked at their projects, you know, it was about 40 million, which is no small number. And we're like, half of our audience, by the way, just passed out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a very large, uh, organization. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. And we said, do you have additional needs? And they said, well, you know, actually, we would like to raise another, do you know what I mean, $5 million for this specific need. And we're like, let's test 45. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you do need to have a number that you're testing. You don't have to have your, do you know what I mean, plans absolutely determined because the feedback, again, is going to help you know, what's realistic for Mm -hmm. you to raise and what projects are pieces of that, the components that are of most interest.
1: So for those members of our audience who are just now waking up from passing out about the $40 million number, (laughs) it brings up the question that I'm sure they're asking themselves, which is, how much is too much or too little to invest time and effort into a feasibility study? Because a major gifts campaign to a small four-person shop might look very different than a major gifts campaign for a 100-person shop that's much larger. Mm-hmm. Any advice there? Great question.
2: Um, if, you know, if you're looking, if an organization is looking to raise 500000 which we think is a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, you know, they probably would not need a feasibility study. We would say anything 1.5 million and above, you would want a feasibility study. And if a million to raise a million dollars for a certain nonprofit is Like a huge stretch, we would suggest that they would benefit from a feasibility study. And so the difference would be from an organization where maybe um, they want to raise 40 million and an organization that wants to raise 1 million, you probably don't need to conduct as many interviews.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, But you still want to connect with your strongest um, stakeholders you just don't need to do the same amount of, um, interviews. And so in that way it, it should not cost as much as, Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Because a lot of the cost associated with, um, a feasibility study is based on the number of interviews that you're conducting. And oftentimes, you know, we say, you know, it runs from 25 to 50 to 60 interviews that you want done. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it
0: does really. So now what if the, the nonprofits put the cart before the horse, you know, they've gone and they've made all these plans and this is what they want to do. And then they realize, Oh wait, before we start asking, like, like they've, I mean, they, they're ready. Like here, here's the plan. This is what we're doing. They may have even went public with the campaign. Right. Mm -hmm. Can, can we recover from that or Um, should we try to?
2: (laughs) I think you always want to recover. And I think, uh, in most instances, that you can. Um I think, and I, I don't know in that instance that you would want to do like a full-blown traditional feasibility study mm-hmm. when you're trying to like, oh, well, we put the carpet <laughs> for the horse. But I think what you want to do is you absolutely, in that instance, want to talk to those closest to you, your strongest stakeholders. And, you know, any organization that's, do you know what I mean? Conducted their activities with integrity and, you know, for all the right reasons. And I just really believe that if you're honest and have kept your, you know, um, donors informed, that they'll stay with you. You might need to change up the campaign a little bit. Like what we found most often when people have, like, whoa, we need to, step back, what they might need to do is do that campaign in phases mm-hmm. instead of like, okay, we're going to raise 5 million. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Within 12 months to say, you know what, let's finish the first part of that um and raise 2.5 million. Let people see the success of that. And then maybe in another year or two, we'll go phase two. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the best way that you can recover. But again, I, if, if you conduct yourselves, like I said, with integrity and honesty, um, People want you to be successful, especially your donors.
1: Absolutely. So for me, one of the things that I was looking at when I was doing my part of the research was the controversial back and forth about doing the feasibility study as an organization and hiring third party consultant to do the feasibility study. And uh, there was arguments on both sides and Mm -hmm. they were very strong on both sides. I know my personal preference, but I don't want to sway the audience in any way as to that, but I really want to bring that up and have a conversation um, with regards to I think the pressure perhaps that executives or nonprofit staff members feel when a board member or the executive director says to you, hey, we could save money if we just did this ourselves because obviously every penny counts and we need to be thinking of the big picture. How do we respond to that? Because there can be some really distinct advantages to hiring a third-party organization, maybe a consultant or a firm, uh, to be able to conduct that feasibility study. Can we walk through some of those advantages of what that might look like? Sure. Um I think there's distinct advantages for
2: using a consultant um and obviously you know that that is my business <laughs> True, so
0: that,
2: I'll I'll take that on There's bias across yeah, the board yeah, exactly. right Um but you know I'll tell you what I really think are some of the advantages one is some donors some community leaders will be much more Honest mm-hmm. and forthright with a consultant, then they will be with a staff person, one, because they really like that staff person, and they don't want to hurt their feelings mm-hmm. or they don't want to do you know what I mean I
1: have seen that happen where they had a volunteer who was very trusted member of the organization, and they said, "I will go out and do this on your behalf and they did, and they told Bob Smith that they would give no problem they 'll give fifty thousand dollars and then when it came down to it. They, they didn't significantly. Oh, wow. And of course Bob's like, but when I talk to him, well, when Bob says, are you going to get 50,000? Oh, well, sure, Bob. I'm sure we'll be able to do something really great. So Bob's interpretation mm-hmm. was they're 50, going 000. to get 50,000, right? Oh, so man. just not having that skilled ear, if you will, and knowing the follow up questions, the rabbit holes to go down. I think that can be where I see volunteers uh, or staff members that, that do that can, can come into a real challenge. There's an art and a science to feasibility studies. Wouldn't you agree? Oh.
2: You know, one of the things, Natalie, I think you're so right in terms of that conversation and the questions when when we do a, a feasibility study and, you know, we say we're conducting an interview, but it's really um a conversation. And so and, you know, we we will ask more specifically, you know, like, will you support this campaign? Yes, I love that organization. I want to support it. Do you know what I mean? And we will ask more than that, but we also make it very conversational and I think that's where you're talking about, about the art so um, you can tell after you've done a number of these like, okay, they don't want to give us an amount, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? So what are some questions we can ask to help ferret that out? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that they'll be more honest and quite frankly I think the other thing that's an advantage of having a consultant is, I don't know any staff person who works harder than an executive director... Um,
1: oh, can we get an amen? Yeah. Amen. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, followed by... We represent the, those yeah, remarks Exactly, by the, a
2: development director. And so the reality is even your best executive director and your development director, they have a full-time job, mm-hmm. and now a feasibility study is above and beyond that. And so just the experience and time um, that a consultant has to devote to this we'll move it along. I think it will be a, a much more succinct process. It will be a much more productive. Um And, you know, that there's a product that you get at the end in terms of this report that has so much valuable information. So I think probably just moving the process forward and the, the more honest response that we think you get with a consultant instead of a staff person, because they love mm-hmm. you, um, and, and you know, oftentimes what's happened when we've worked with a nonprofit and they'll say the, the staff person will pretty much know what that – Uh, volunteer or the donor might say, and they'll say, "Can you ask them this? Because they'll respond to you differently than they Mm -hmm. will to us." And we've seen that sometimes where we're able to say some things Mm -hmm. that a staff person cannot say, we can Mm -hmm. sometimes be more direct. Because do you know what I mean? We're not going to go ask that person for a gift, and we don't have a long-term relationship with them.
1: And vice versa, I think a lot of times the people you're talking to will be more direct with you than they may be with a staff person because they don't want to. They don't want to. Sam's feelings. Sam Mm -hmm. has been their fund development director for years and Sam works very hard and so there's that oh I I would hate to do that but now we're going (laughs) to tell you so this is what I really feel this is what I really Mm -hmm. think and I think too. it's the value of the feasibility study when you get it back. It's not Sam said blah blah blah. It's it's really just giving us concepts and things that we can work through and work from uh, and we can get as specific or non specific as we want, depending on the consultant agreement and that conversation beforehand, which I think that's why it's so important. Oh
0: yeah. Well now I guess let's say we talked our board into this. We're <laughs> going to spend some money. Board um, members,
1: listen to your executive <laughs> directors. Spend the money. <laughs> so
0: what how do I even start to find a consultant and what, what should I be asking
1: them? You should sure go to the dot <laughs> <com. No. laughs> great Great. Uh, um, no. But that's, that's a great point because there's, there are several consultants and you want to find the one that fits yeah. you best. Right. Because I know that, you know, I know of
0: organizations. I've been one of those organizations before that's hired a consultant to do a specific thing thought we had agreements, thought we were on the same page and then ended up with something very, very differently.
1: Um, So it goes to without saying that all consultants are not created equal. Exactly.
0: So what should I, what should I do to make sure I get the right one for me?
1: You know, first of all, um, I would
2: love for you to choose the roM group, but i would I would absolutely encourage you to talk to three
0: mm-hmm.
2: okay. three groups because I think you just want to your point you do need to feel comfortable with them like that 's somebody that I can work with mm-hmm. I, that's crucial to the um, point, but what I would here some of the questions I would ask is I would want to know more about the process in terms of like okay, what are they actually what is the consultant actually going to do? What are the steps? How long is this going to take? I'd like to know from the consultant, what do they expect from me?
0: Yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm pushing this off so I don't have to do it all. How much am I going to have to do?
2: Right. Exactly. So what do they expect from me? And also, um, I'd like to know about their experience Mm -hmm. because I think – that experience counts and and so and I always like to know specifics when I'm talking with anyone when I'm interviewing them so tell me how you were able to get um, these busy people are busy donors in the community to um, say yes to participating in a feasibility study interview. Yeah. So I would ask them that, too, like what is their how have they gotten good response rate mm-hmm. in the feasibility study? And then I would also I would want to know very specifically, what is the end product that I'm going to get? What mm-hmm. outcomes will I see from you? Yeah. And so I, I would ask those questions. And, and, you know, really what they should be able to tell you is one, they'll have, um, what they think is a feasible or, or a reasonable dollar figure for a goal for your campaign. Um, who are some people in the community that, are willing to support this, so what we call is a gift table. So, mm. you know, you could expect a gift of a fifty thousand from this donor. So I'm getting the gift table.
0: I don't have to do that because that. Yeah, that's oh. <laughs> you, you'll yeah. get the beginning of a gift okay. table. Okay. Absolutely, yeah, and then they'll absolutely. help you a
1: lot of times walk you through. The filling in the blanks and just being able to learn more about your organization. Worth it.
0: <laughs> One of the things I
1: always wanted to know, uh, because I've done it both ways, and I'm curious as from the consultant side, what you prefer? Do you prefer the organization to provide you questions up front so that you know every interviewee behind you, consultant group, will be answering those questions? Or do you prefer to come in and provide your own unique presentation based on... Your experience and knowledge of the organization and what they want just through the conversation. Oh, that's a great question. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I,
2: um, you know, actually either approach works. Okay. Um, I, I do think it's helpful to have the questions ahead of time because then you do know that you're comparing apples to apples because realistically, I mean, I, I think the Rome group, I, I think we do wonderful work. I don't think we always are the, Come in with the most pizzazz. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a presentation to your board. So if you're looking though, how did they answer this question compared okay. to other consultants? I I think we shine in those instances. Mm-hmm. I mean we're we're very straightforward. And there's some consultants who are really flashy. Um,
1: and so you have to know what works for your organization, right? Right. Some exactly. of those questions to ask uh, we found on uh, compasspoint.org, and we'll post mm-hmm. that article. Uh, I think it's very helpful when you have a board of directors uh, that's helping to select you or a committee that maybe Mm -hmm. this is their first time, they're unfamiliar with it, they're maybe not Mm -hmm. sure what to ask. They like to have a piece of paper because then they know if a question hasn't been addressed, they can go back and ask Mm -hmm. that question, write those notes. And I think it really helps them to get on a platform. These are the things that are most crucial to our organization to answer and regardless of maybe how they fit, we also have to make sure that the fit didn't overshine the purpose and what they think they can bring to the table. Absolutely. Speaking of bringing it to the table, mm-hmm. I, I realize mm-hmm. our, our table is wrapping up here pretty soon, uh, but I thought it would be nice to talk about just some of our feasibility study experiences individually. I know, Marjorie, you mentioned you were more junior at feasibility study experiences. Yes, I
0: would say I am. I am starting to consider the possibility of maybe having a feasibility study soon.
1: I know, I know a great consultant. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
0: introduce you after the show. I think I've, I've mentioned the show has learned, I, I learn more on this show than I think I'm giving to people sometimes. (laughs) I agree. It's been a
1: great eye opener, I think, for both of us as we go through it. Uh, so I've had the privilege of being involved in several campaigns in different organizations at different levels. And I think one of the things that I can give advice to any of our nonprofit professionals or volunteers who are listening is just really that there's two schools of thought in having the same consultant for the feasibility study. Mm-hmm. And having that consultant join you on the campaign journey afterwards. Mm. Uh, I've heard people who say you should never have the same consultant. They should be two different people. I've heard people say you should have the same consultant. You want that consistency. I've heard use the consultant for the feasibility study, then drop them and do everything on your mm. own. Cause the, so I've heard it's kind of this controversial. And I can tell you mm. from my experience, there is no right answer. Mm. You have to do what really, if the shoe fits, wear it. If you go through the feasibility study and you find that you and this consultant, because you're the one working with them, folks, right? So you're the one's going to have yeah. to be able to make sure that you have that relationship. If it's really working and jiving, and you feel very comfortable, and you're getting the results that you need, don't just do what everyone says you should do because everyone says you should do it. So stay with that consultant, help, have them help you on the journey, but. At the same point, and I've been there and done that, where I've had a consultant that the board was really anxious to bring on, and there was a rub beyond all belief, and I just felt it was like taking a shower with an SOS pad. I mean, we got the job done, but it was rough, right? So uh, if that happens, don't be afraid to stop after the feasibility study, move on to the next level, and and get someone who can help you on the next level of your journey. That's That's my two cents for what it's worth. What about you, Ellen? Any tips or advice you'd like to give? You
2: know, to Natalie's point, um, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, sometimes when... And I didn't pay
1: her to say that, all, by the way. Sometimes
2: (laughs) when um, we receive um, a request for a proposal, it will be for both the feasibility study and the campaign. And what we prefer to do is to do a proposal for the feasibility study and to just put a little bit about what we do in terms of Campaign council because we think they should be two different decisions. I mean, many times we've done a feasibility study and then they decided to, you know, use us for the um, campaign. But I think to your point, there are times when you've worked with a consultant, you're like, mm, do you know what I mean? I've liked them, but I think I could maybe get something different, or I need someone who's going to push or drive this more, or, or just the opposite. So I think it, I think you want to make. You know that decision separately.
0: Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Ellen, for coming in today. Now, where can our listeners go to learn more about the Rome Group and what resources you guys offer for nonprofits? We have a lot of resources
2: for nonprofits. Um, many of you might be familiar with um, www.theromegroup.com for a place to look for a job uh, for uh, in nonprofit. So you can do that. The other thing that we're um, really I proud of is we do a monthly newsletter and you can send us an email um and be signed up for that newsletter. So you don't have to be a
1: client to get that? No, okay. no.
2: Absolutely. Anyone can do that. It's a service that we provide to the community. And it really is an update um on what's going on. Um in the community around nonprofits, around philanthropy, we really try to keep you up to date on the latest trends and studies that are out there. I mean, you guys are obviously are doing a great job yourself <laughs> staying current, but we really help provide those tools too. So it's a monthly newsletter, um, that, that you can just send us an email and, um, to solutions at the Rome group and we'll sign you up and you receive it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great snapshot of the whole philanthropic landscape going on in the St. Louis metropolitan area. So if you're not already subscribed to it, it's it's a great free resource to have available.
0: Right. And can we connect with you on social media anywhere?
2: Um, you know what? Uh, <laughs> we will be um, launching a, a new website um, soon, probably, and you'll be able to connect with us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Can you believe it? You can now, but I mean, it will be more robust. Even better.
0: Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) We'll look forward to that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Ellen, and thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. We're recorded at the studios of Minds Eye Radio and produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite app is and subscribe to us. Leave us some feedback um, so everybody else can find us. You can find us also on Facebook uh, at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.